0: That's my fault. Anyway, hello and welcome to another magical Saturday stream. I'm your host Joe magician and today we're only we're not really that far away from House of the Dragon being live on TV so we're gonna get a lot of answers about a lot of things from Fire and Blood but I figured before that happens why don't we go ahead and look at what we got from Fire and Blood and figure out why this war happens why the dance of the dragons which spoiler alert is what house of the dragon will be about is um why it came about who really pushed it to be a thing and what who drove the conflicts that got us there and this is a similar question to regular song of ice and fire to war of the five kings and robert's rebellion and the black fire rebellions and all these things that george as a writer wants you to look beyond the face value rivalries on the page and look a little deeper at what causes them so that's what we're going to do today we're going to go beyond the petty rivalries and the people not liking each other we're going to go straight to the answer of who made those rivalries happen what's underpinning them and what really made the dance the dance instead of just a minor succession uh, squabble between family members i've got some good answers in the chat already Obi-Wan did it. Oh my god. The crossovers are real. If Hayden Christensen shows up as Aegon the second, I'm in. <laughs> she... Actually, Aegon is sort of like Darth Vader. Starts off in relatively innocent and then ends up a scarred monster who's doing horrible things. Oh man, is this headcanon? canon? Aegon the second is Darth Vader. Oh man, I'm in on it. I'm in on this theory now. We're doing this. Thank you, Karen Grant, great contribution. So got a good quote here from Fire and Blood, and this is a good introduction to it, to the Dance of the Dragons and how you're supposed to think of it as a reader and how you should probably think of it as a as a viewer when House of the Dragon shows up on HBO. So no war was ever bloodier or crueler than the Dance of the Dragons, as the singers and Munkin have chosen to name it. It was the worst kind of war, a war between siblings. Despite Viserys' unwavering preference for Rhaenyra, Prince Aegon was convinced to take up his father's crown by his mother in the small council before Viserys I's corpse was cold. When Rhaenyra, the Princess of Dragonstone, learned of it, she fell into a rage. She was at the time in confinement at Dragonstone, awaiting the birth of her third child to Prince Daemon. And that's kind of where you're going at. It is a bloody and cruel war, one that is made out of lot of hatred at each other but as I said the hatred and the reasons that they are at each other's throats Aegon and Rhaenyra is a little bit harder to get at but this is basically the story that characters in regular Song of Ice and Fire know this is the sort of the story that Stannis I made a thread about this a while ago on Twitter basically talking about how what we see in Fire and Blood eventually got translated into education for later characters in a song of ice and fire where stannis baratheon of all people is taught that not only was rhaenyra not the heir to the iron throne but she was a usurper and that she was a traitor to aegon ii and it's like this interesting game of telephone that goes from what actually happened to the history books to the maesters to being taught to the lords and we're going to go ahead and crack that baby open poor poor stannis if only he knew better that goof so to start off with just a little introduction here the dance of the dragons itself is a very large and varied conflict it is not really as simple as that quote makes it the fact that it was bloody and horrific and an awful the worst kind of war is true but um just making it a war between the siblings is kind of underselling it I, I would say oh i'm sorry i forgot one thing i forgot to i got super chats before we went live from mona radu 20 pounds can't stay but here's a token appreciation thank you so much appreciate it thank you for the super chat and more a similar one 50 dollars morally coming in hot just a show of love appreciation and support i love all the content on both this and your other channel you show off all the fabulous veggies etc in your garden funny you should mention it maura that is coming i did do some filming on my garden i've been putting a lot of it on my instagram that's on the growing strong youtube channel because i am apparently on theme in all things that i do two more also says too early to blame blood raven so she blames daemon targaryen as a huge culprit she also left a message on patreon we'll get to later yeah she she thinks that daemon is a primary cause and there is definitely some merit to that idea but yeah thanks you guys for the super chats also had a, f- a couple new patrons let's see here uh new maester aryan and oh, i got a message from somebody and men hit she who massacres uh recent recent addition to to the uh, citadel as it were oh good kraken queen you got your your code thank you i'm glad you got it yeah thank you guys for signing up thank you guys for the super chats if you want to send them through obviously the super chat thing is open you go so send of the paypal the um, link is in the description don't feel obligated just happy to hang out just throw a like and a sub if you enjoy what you're seeing share it to other people hit the like button if we get let's see here we got 32 likes let's say if we get to 100 likes we'll give away another t-shirt and i'll throw on a hat so slam the MFN like button i'm sorry if i'm my actions are a little spastic today i didn't get a lot of sleep so i drank a bunch of coffee so i am a little a little hyped up on caffeine today as I make it worse (laughs) and I made strong coffee too my hands are gonna be going all over the place gonna be gonna be all over the place your second born no first born only please everyone knows second borns aren't worth anything back to the point I was making no one person made the dance happen there was a lot of bad decisions a lot of different factions a lot of different people pushing for different reasons why they wanted this war and very, very little of it actually has to do with a sibling rivalry, of which we're going to get into. There really wasn't one. Um, yeah, and again, this is similar to my video on a Damon Blackfire, where we kind of went through all the reasons that this war happened and how Damon was largely, uh, even though it's called Damon Blackfire's War. It's really like Bittersteel's War and it's really the Marcher Lord's War and the Lickspittle Lord's War. And it just so happens that Damon is a convenient claimant that they pushed forward. Spoiler alert, yeah. I'm not really big on this being Aegon Second's fault. I was gonna drop a link in the chat for the Damon Blackfire stream. And I also talked about this a bit on my uh, teaser analysis video. If you want to check it out, here's the link to that also in the chat. I'm also gonna put them in the description later. I didn't get to it before we went live. I would, my fingers were flying on the keyboard, putting down notes for this. So um, we'll get to that later. But yes, so House of the Dragon is going to clarify a lot of the inconsistencies, to say the least, in Fire and Blood. There, If you have not read the book, and you should, and if you want to, there's obviously links in the description to go to Amazon to pick it up. You can also pick it up on Audible. It's an Audible free trial thing if you want to do that. But however you get it, you should probably read Fire and Blood before... House of the Dragon comes up, but it's it's not a direct narrative. It's not like a Song of Ice and Fire where you're looking through characters' POVs and you can just sort of see the truth of what's happening unfold in front of you. Of course, there are there are instances in Song of Ice and Fire where characters are mistaken about things or their interpretations are wrong, but at least you're seeing the actions as they occur. Fire and Blood is written as a history book. It's written from multiple scholarly sources from hundreds of years ago by one historian trying to pull it all together. So you often get conflicting information. And that makes like looking at what actually caused the dance, at least from Fire and Blood, kind of tough. It makes it a little bit difficult to get at the, the truth of the matter. The TV show, as far as I know, is instead going for the direct POV version where they're going to be showing us literally what happens from minute to minute and it's not going to be this uncertain history thing it's just going to be the truth the truth of the matter which will be nice because a lot of these things definitely need some ironing out in particular well I don't know if we're going to get it the what actually and Weil got up to would be fascinating to see along with um Blood and cheese and a, a few other mysteries in Fire and Blood. So with that said, some of the things I'm going to say here are going to end up being wrong, as are many people who have analyzed Fire and Blood of, of, in front of House of the Dragon, because they're going to essentially give the definitive version of which information is true. You're supposed to, as a reader, you're supposed to say like, well, maybe there's the truth between the three POVs, the, th- the three sources, but Sometimes it might be all of them are true or none of them are true or only two. Instead, it's going to be like, this is going to be the truth of the thing. A lot of this, some of this may be wrong. And so a lot of people that have analyzed this stuff. So getting ready for that. Yeah, that is, that is one of the funny things, Guilty Undertaker, that uh, a lot of readers have come to the conclusion that Mushroom, the court fool who makes up the most ridiculous stories, is probably the most truthful a lot of the time which is not what you expect it's it's a way of george playing on his education and how history books are written iron blood audiobook is on audible and it's very well done is it it's it's um who does that it's uh the harry lloyd does it right the actor who played the game of thrones i think he does the audiobook for that i'm not sure i haven't listened to it myself i prefer reading rather than listening but everyone has their own choices And I, one thing, one caveat I'm going to make before we go into the whole list of characters and talk about who did what and why stuff happened is I'm going to draw a distinction right now between who caused the war and the succession conflict. It's Roy Treese. I'm sorry. Oh, wait, Simon Vance. Yeah. Who actually, maybe it does a change depending on the country. Harry Lloyd, I forget what he did. I don't know. I've never listened to them, so my mistake on that one. Yeah, I'm going I'm to draw a distinction between the people who literally pushed the war to happen, who made the succession conflict happen, and those that were just kind of carrying out the plan. Th- this kind of gets into Varys' riddle a little bit. The idea of there's a man with a sword and three powerful people bid him to do something who actually has the power. <laughs> I'm going to be ignoring for the most part the man with the sword in the middle although if you definitely want if you want to debate this Clint of the Learned Hands podcast he'll be happy to talk about this riddle and who actually is at at fault for everything with the idea of no one follows a plan does it have any power you still have to convince the soldiers and the guy with the swords to enact your your plot etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. going to be mostly ignoring that or at least downplaying the the guy in the middle. We're going to be talking about the three powerful people on the edge for the most part. The enablers versus the strategists and also people who make some mistakes. Mistakes tend to be a big part of the Dance of the Dragons. Oh, Harry Lloyd did Duncan Egg. Oh, okay. I got you. Simon Vance did Fire and Blood. Okay. Makes sense. Interesting. Fire and Blood is an excellent, unreliable narrator. I personally found it frustrating, but I don't really like audiobooks. I'm not a big history book reader anyway, so not the target audience. It took me quite a while to actually read it. I kept, uh, I found it pretty boring the first time through. It, it took some effort to find some stuff, but yeah, at Clint, if you want to talk about Varus's riddle and who's actually at fault for the dance in terms of enablers versus strategists and stuff like that, but here we go. So we're gonna start off at the top of the list and the one that a lot of people tend to blame the most as like a below the surface level, and that is of course the late King, King Viserys I. And the reason for this is that it comes down to questions of succession, of course, as it goes. Simplified down, many, including those in the universe, believe the Great Council categorically, Great Council 101, categorically barred women from being able to inherit the Iron Throne, and also that female lines were illegitimate. That's what characters in universe, and eventually that is part of the history that is taught to characters. Like, I I gave the example of Stannis. That's definitely a thing that Stannis has been taught, that the succession of the Iron Throne is that. I'm gonna, I disagree with that notion. Um, I don't think that's what the Great Council did. That's a very self-serving interpretation that is at odds with what we see in Fire and Blood. But that's a discussion for another time for another video that'll be one about what does the Great Council actually mean again inspired by Clinton Mary of learned hands they made a great great podcast episode talking about it that totally convinced me um, not going to go over that today but that that's a large part of the reason that people tend to say Viserys caused the war because he went against the Great Council and he ignored precedent. And all this other kind of stuff. Oh, uh super chat here from Trippy Fox, five pounds. Love making onto and stream, love your videos and streams. The Citadel is the Reddit of Westeros because it's filled with incels. Oof. Wait, I'm a Reddit mod. Shit. Shots fired at me, I guess. Thanks for the super chat, I guess. So the long and the short of it is what the Grit Council actually did is it recommended to the Jaharis who he should make his heir, even though he kind of already told them who he wanted them to make his heir. And they used a bunch of different reasons for why they chose Viserys over Rhaenys and Laenor Valarian, And it has to do with proximity, dragon riding, their age, male versus female lines. And I think there is one more I'm forgetting. But I'm going to make a claim here. And in a very real way, Jaehaerys and the Great Council that whole decision-making process to disinherit rainis's line in favor of Viserys is actually pretty radical in terms of succession within Westeros because most of Westeros functions on male preference primogeniture, which means I, I put an example in my video talking analysis of House of the Dragon, but it basically means that it's God. it's kind of complicated to explain, but basically if you have a king among his children all of his sons come before his daughters but the children of those sons come before any of their uncles so basically it means that like if okay it's it's kind of, it's frustrating to explain but basically in a sense it means that Rainis legal heir and she actually was at the time that was kind of the point because she was the daughter and the only child of the previous legal heir, the Iron Throne should go through him down to Rhaenys, and if not to her, then to her child Laenor. And basically what Jaehaerys more or less instructed the Great Council to do is to instead make it male only primogeniture. There's a, there's a specific name for that, but basically he wanted them to ignore all female claimants as legitimate, and instead wanted it to pass to the next male heir after, I think Balon was the, was the, the prince that died. That was Rainy's. Let me, I'm going to look this up real fast. Hang on a second. You, you kind of need a chart in order to figure it out, but that's more or less what it means. It means if, Okay, let's think about this in terms of the Starks. Let's imagine that Robb Stark, before he died, had a daughter. As far as most Westerosi inheritance goes, that daughter should inherit before Bran. Jaehaerys is instead saying that that daughter wouldn't count, that it instead should go to Bran Stark. Okay. Oh no, Rhaenys was the daughter of Aemon. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Aemon was the prince. Yeah. She's the heir of the previous heir, and since she was the only child, it should go to her. That's what most Westerosi inheritance means. Jaehaerys is saying the Iron Throne is different. It should be male only. Okay, that's that's basically what's going on here. We'll get into Jaehaerys's role in all of this. This is a kind of a big thing. But essentially, Viserys, upon taking the Iron Throne, which totally benefited him, he decides that that whole logic is wrong. He thinks that his daughter, his only daughter, Rhaenyra, should be his heir, and that it shouldn't go to Damon, his brother. Because that's what it under Jaehaerys's new rules that would be. But unfortunately, Viserys is king. And Viserys can make whatever rules he wants because it's an absolute monarchy. There's no supreme court. There's no like legal system deciding all this stuff. It it comes down to what the king says. That's that's how this whole thing works. And he decided to he decided to say that, even though it definitely helped me out. Rhaenyra is my heir. And to go back to the idea of male preference instead of male only. uh, These terms are from Crusader Kings. If you're wondering, there are very specific old words and vocabulary for all this stuff. I'm just trying to make it simple to understand. There's a YouTube channel called Useful Charts. It's a good job explaining different kinds of inheritance. Yeah, you kind of need charts to understand it. It kind of hurts your brain. Actually, I think there was a recent example, the British monarch switched from male preference to equal succession because uh, Prince William's first child was a girl, I believe, but yeah. (laughs) Okay, so uh, this is actually a little bit curious because this is a king basically giving an opinion that would invalidate his own right to rule. Under the way that Viserys is making Rainier his heir, he should not be king, it should then pass to Rhaenys. But he's saying, no, we're starting from me, Viserys, we're going back to the idea that women can inherit the Iron Throne. And he can totally do that. There's a lot of, I see so many Reddit arguments about this where it's like, he can't do that. Yes, he can. He's a king. Kings can make up their own rules. That's literally the reason to be a king. It's an absolute monarchy. There's no Magna Carta none of that stuff. He can do whatever he wants. And he does. But he understands that there'll probably be some pushback to that. So Viserys has all the Lords of Westeros come to uh, King's Landing and swear to Rhaenyra. We see that in the trailer where one after another, they're all kneeling down and say, we promise to defend Rhaenyra. And then she turns around and she smiles and everything's great. But this is part of Viserys, again, basically acknowledging that what he's trying to do is controversial, depending on the people who voted for him to be king. He understands that there needs to be popular support. He needs to build a power base for Rhaenyra to make sure that she has control when it when he eventually dies and it passes to her. Oh, did I get it wrong? Did I get the, the British inheritance line wrong? Thanks to the law. If he had been a she, then she would have been first in line left. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. I got it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know they changed the inheritance somehow but i believe it's equal but i yeah george is now the heir from william it's all very complicated all these rules are complicated on purpose because it's a weird ass system to use and Viserys, he he sort of gets lampooned a bit in fire and blood and also a world of ice and fire for being like kind of like a party guy he's open handed he gives away too much stuff he's not a strong king but he's taking the idea that he needs to Rather than being a magor and basically forcing everyone to go along with his rule, he's trying to effectively just build an alliance of friendship around himself, people that are loyal to him. This is kind of what Ned Stark does. Oh, okay, so I got wrong what the child was, but it's now equal inheritance. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, understood. Thank you for the correction. (laughs) Yeah, Alicent left her several times. It wasn't good. But that's basically what Viserys is doing. He's trying to build bonds of loyalty that will last beyond his life. He understands that people are not going to be super psyched about Rhaenyra for a lot of misogynist reasons, that they think that a woman inheriting the Iron Throne will eventually lead to a downfall of their misogynist power structure, yada, 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 fine he's doing what he can to make sure it doesn't happen. And it's a legitimate strategy and way to go about it. That's basically like the idea of Tywin versus Ned in A Song of Ice and Fire. Tywin tries to rule through fear. He tries to be Machiavellian. Ned does the opposite. And who has more loyalty after they're dead? Well, it's Ned. And so I I do think people are a little hard on Viserys for that kind of thing, where he's just... It's like, oh, he's just trying to be a good guy and try to be everybody's friend. Well, it works. It does work a lot. And this is also kind of a recognition that Jaharis did the same thing for Viserys' ascension. He did a lot of wheeling, dealing, and building popular support so that when Viserys, when Jaheris eventually died, Viserys got the throne, that Rhaenys would not have the strength, effectively, to build a powerful enough coalition to take on the new king, Viserys. So Viserys is doing the same thing through Renera. It's it's the exact same strategy. Although there is a little bit of a difference there in that there are very few that actually wanted Rhaenys and Laenor to be their monarch. They much preferred Viserys over the two of them or Daemon, mostly because Viserys was seen as... Somebody they could use and much more friendly to them. Also represented a lot of the internalized misogyny of primogeniture that they liked. Again, the fears about Rainis are the same ones that happened about Rhaenyra. So, this is a long story short. Did Viserys cause the war? Not really. I don't think he did. Because, just take a second and imagine the opposite. Flip this around. So, let's say that Aegon, the Th- Aegon his son by Allison, is born. And Viserys says, what? Screw Rhaenyra. I'm disinheriting you, I'm putting Aegon next on the throne, deal with it. Well, is not going to be happy about that, and neither will be Daemon. And in fact, it gives Daemon a very real way to influence Rhaenyra to try and take out her half-siblings. It also would alienate, obviously, Corlys, Velaryon and Rhaenys, who are a large part of the power structure that was built into making sure Rhaenyra would have a good succession. It's largely based on the the marriage between Laenor and Rhaenyra all of a sudden if you flip this around and you make Aegon the the heir you have lost the Valerians you have lost their support you've pissed off Daemon you've pissed off Corlys you've picked pissed off Rhaenys and all the other lords that also swore to defend Rhaenyra they're now put in a hard spot where they have to effectively go back on what they swore do you have to do this whole thing again like there's an implication especially from people in the fandom that if he just made Aegon the heir none of this would have happened absolutely not it would probably would have still happened it just which character which claimant was the one doing the usurping would have changed so there's like there's not like an easy winning move here so much of aerys's power and his ability to keep a stable realm comes from rainis and corlys and by extension the baratheons and keeping them from being unhappy with them. A lot of his decisions are trying to balance his support of Otto versus specifically Corlys and Rhaenys. So those are the two people that this hinge on, and that's not really Viserys' fault. He kind of inherited that from Jaehaerys. So Tony Sled, five Canadian dollars. Thank you. Aaron sparked this question, and it's valid. Can tar Queens divorce kings and their lords their single case? I don't mean running away, I mean legally. Divorcing? I think they can do it if... When have there been divorces in the story? If they never consummated the marriage, they can do it. If there's proof of infidelity, they're allowed to divorce. But it has to come from the male side. I don't think the... I don't think women can divorce their husbands, but husbands can divorce their wives. Alessane really had no choice. She basically wanted to for divor- divorce uh, Jaharis, but he is king, so she could not. There, it's a no-win scenario for Viserys. He inherits this... Very messed up situation where whichever Aegon or Rhaenyra that he favors, the other ones, the other the faction that supports either one is going to be upset. The High Towers versus the Valyrians, that's largely what's that's largely what's motivating this conflict. It's it's Valyrians versus High Towers. There had there are setting aside of wives, I believe. I mean, maybe it's not called Divorce, but... Or is that for Paramours? The, that would be the closest, I would think. Fireball sent his wife to the Faith? Yeah, I guess that would be the way you could do it. There are ways around it, I guess. But it's always from the male side. Although, it's not to say Viserys did not make him a... St- so, for one thing, it's quite clear from reading back Fire and Blood that Viserys made a deal with the Devil in Otto Hightower to get the Iron Throne. That there are quite a lot of people that thought that Rhaenys and or should inherit. And... Otto, with with Jeharis's help, was able to swing the vote largely for Viserys by making this deal with him. And we, it's not explicit in the text what the deal is, but it's pretty close that that most likely what happened is that Viserys agreed to accept he he accepted Otto's help in exchange for probably his firstborn son marrying Alicent. That's probably what it was over time that became infeasible and then he ended up marrying her himself it would be weird for Viserys who is already married to agree to marry Alicent in some future that would encourage Otto to kill him to kill her basically which may have happened anyway but it was probably um Firstborn son to Alison I would guess that's what happened there. Women in the story are basically trapped in every man you can imagine. Correct. The feudal era was unkind to women in general. Okay, so why is this a big problem? But it, Because it basically makes it so that Viserys is reliant on Otto for a lot of his power and for a lot of the stability in his realm. He rules his hand of the king. He makes him hand of the king again after Viserys rises to power instead of replacing him. And it takes quite a long time until Viserys basically plucks up the courage to tell Otto to screw, to get out, fires him, makes Lionel strong, his hand of the king instead. Because again, you if you're Viserys, you're always worried about Rhaenys and you're worried about Damon. And the marriage between Lenor and Rhaenyra kind of takes care of the the Valyrian side and Rhaenys' side, but the high towers will be a problem no matter what. Otto has an outsized influence on the realm. And besides that, he also has Elder Brother, who's Lord Hightower. Eventually, this led to the marriage between himself and Alicent, which is kind of the thing that ends up happening here. But I, if you had the point, the one thing that is Viserys' big mistake, it is the relying on Otto Hightower so much and being unable to effectively kick him out of power and his court. That at that point, Otto is so entrenched and Viserys had no real option that... He had to keep him around, he had to placate him, and that leads to this conflict in a way. But that's not really Viserys' intention. Would No matter which way you go, it is still not going great. And, like, there is some things I guess Viserys could have done, but they're so ruthless, and they're, they feel evil, that it feels weird to suggest, like, well, oh, obviously Viserys should have done this in order to secure the, uh, the realm for Rhaenyra. Like, I guess he could have killed... Damon and helena and Lenor, and then forced aegon the second or aegon the set who become aegon the second and rhaenyra to marry in order to merge the claims but like we're talking about multiple murders here and then forcing essentially at sword point to to half siblings who don't even like each other to marry to make sure a war doesn't happen it's like boy that is that is a hard thing to say that that's the logical thing Visery should have done that's what i would do in crusader kings But this is like real people, not pixels on a screen, or I guess they aren't really real people. So I guess that's, you can be a real criticism of a series. He was not ruthless enough to kill people, (laughs) to kill so many people that he got rid of the eventual conflict of succession and remove Otto Hightower from his life. Okay. I mean, I'm not even sure that would really work because it would have been so obvious what he was doing and we'd have lost support and it's not like, People wouldn't have noticed that all of a sudden all the heirs and all the people that are like making Viserys' life harder start dropping dead. I doubt they would have been happy about it anyway. That's kind of where I land on Viserys. I don't think it's his fault because he's kind of screwed either way. And it's like, I I don't really feel comfortable pinning it on Viserys for not having the strength to carry out a mass murder campaign to force his two children to marry. That feels like a little far, a little much. All right, let's move on to the second guy, and unsurprisingly, I'm gonna put most of the blame of the Dance of the Dragons on this guy, Otto freaking High Tower, the main villain of House of the Dragon and the Dance of the Dragons. I, I'm gonna throw this out the before we even get into like the details of it. Otto has the most blood on his hands directly for the Dance of the Dragons. There are different sort of pressures and different problems that. Are inherited specifically from, but Otto is the one that's really, really pushing things. He's making the strategies, he's planning out the coup, he's making everything happen. It's difficult to find somebody that's more at fault than Otto himself. Was mass murder his only real option, though? I, it, it's hard to say because you basically have to, you'd have to get Aegon and Rhaenyra basically married in order to forestall their eventual any kind of conflict between them succession wise, or you'd have to, I guess kill Alicent and Otto I mean this this is uh yeah (laughs) I don't think we want to be in a I don't want to be in a position of saying it's like it's it's Viserys's fault for not engaging in tactical murders like that I don't think that's really a good thing to be arguing for out of all the living people during the during the start of the dance, I I blame Otto the most. He's extremely focused from a pretty young age on using his influence as Hand of the King for Harris and his power at court to raise the High Towers and in particular himself to greater greater prominence. But this is one thing I forgot about, and I think I've said wrong in a few videos is that Otto High Tower is not the Lord of the High Tower. He is not the Lord of House High Tower. He is a younger brother of the Lord, he is only a knight, he is Sir Otto Hightower. That falls into a lot of George's second son, nothing to inherit, kind of having to make their own luck in the world to make their own inheritance because they're not getting it on their own. You can see that as kind of a, a secondary or tertiary influence on Otto and why he does the things he does. So I think there's one very clear objective for Otto Hightower and why he's doing all of this. And it's relatively unspoken on the page, but if you look at the political situation and what happened during Aegon's conquest, it becomes it becomes a little more obvious. And the main objective, what Otto is trying to do, is he is trying to secure the Reach. If you may remember, during Aegon's conquest, Aegon and his sisters killed all the gardeners, and there is a power vacuum left in the Reach. The obvious next person up is probably the High Towers. They control Old Town, they're the second most powerful house that I don't th- they they have a claim to garth greenhand going back generations upon generations it would make sense for Aegon to effectively say here you go High Towers. there's no more gardeners you will be my next liege lords you can have high guard and all that stuff and instead Aegon makes a a tactical decision which is pretty consistent with the rest of his uh, new lords basically where he decides to take someone who is to take a house that is uh less powerful and elevate them in order to make them dependent on himself and that's what he does to house tyrell he makes the stewards of high garden the tyrells the new lords of the reach and because they are unstable and new again there's no real way for them to effectively rally support high towers among the other reach lords are pretty unhappy about this they remain unhappy about this. They think that they should be the next Lords of the Reach. And they also made the claim, this is George marrying myth and legend to current timeline stuff. They say that the Tyrells came from a female line to Garth and viewed that as illegitimate and lesser than their own. Which is kind of funny because I'm pretty sure the High Tower claim also comes from a female line but that's how it goes. Let me see here. Garth Greenhand. I'm pretty sure it's Maris the Maid. So the High Towers themselves come through a female line too. Don't let that stop them. They hate the Tyrells. They think they're illegitimate. They think that they're a crappy ruler to the Reach and they want that fixed. And oh yes, thank you, Aaron. Make sure you slam the like button. We're going to give away a shirt at 100 likes and I'll throw on a funny hat and we'll have a good time. So many Reach lords after Aegon's conquest tried to find ways to effectively unseat the Tyrells and take High Garden for themselves as the true heirs to the Gardeners. To well, not to not to the Gardeners, to Garth Greenhand, mostly because they wanted the power of the Reach, the wealth, and all that stuff. High Towers, second most powerful house, obviously feel the same way. But the Targaryens consistently stuck by the Tyrells. They propped them up, they made sure that nobody was challenging them. They use their dragons effectively as tools to keep them in power. So what do you do if you're the second most powerful house in the Reach and you want the Tyrells gone to claim Highgarden and the Lord Paramount ship of the whole thing? Well, you could try and kill all the Tyrells or you could try to uh, drive a wedge between the Iron Throne and the Tyrells. So Otto decided to do the second. He decided rather than waging war against his liege lords or encouraging his older brother to, that he would use the Iron Throne to effectively try and take the reach for himself or just for the high towers in general. He's very obsessed with legacy. Again, a lot like Tywin. He wants the throne not just for power, but to help out his family in a terrible, terrible way. So Otto does this by making himself indispensable to the Iron Throne and also trying to create a royal marriage for their family which over time or perhaps very quickly would create the ability to remove the Tyrells from power possibly give Old Town Dominion of the entire Reach or give Otto and his children Dominion of the Reach it's it's not hard to understand how once he has a grandson on the Iron Throne that he could find some reason invent a treason or something like that that the Tyrells are disloyal to the Iron Throne and remove them from power and take Highgarden on his own. That's a fairly easy thing to imagine he would try and do. Again, seeing as Otto has no holdings of his own as he's only a knight, yeah, it makes sense from a family-wise and from a personal motivation-wise that this is kind of what he's after beyond just the Iron Throne in general there's side effects here that would be very helpful for him. And there's some, there's actually a little, there's some proof of this in the Tyrell involvement in the dance, which is basically none. The Tyrells at the time were ruled by a child. And by that, I mean, they were ruled by a regent. So it's, it's a precarious time for House Tyrell. It's only been a hundred or so years since they were made Lords of the Reach. Most of their vassals think that they're illegitimate or that they think that what they have should be theirs there's a child in charge and all of a sudden Otto Hightower has effectively managed to capture the Iron Throne for his family so when it comes time for the Tyrell to decide what to do yeah they decide to do nothing and it kind of makes sense why if you sort of think through the thought process so if the Tyrells join the Greens in rebelling against Rhaenyra if the High powers win, it's actually bad for them. They don't really want Aegon the Iron Throne. They don't want Otto to have more power. They don't want to give them a reason to find a way to remove them from power. It's it's pretty clear that this is something that's possible. But if the Tyrells choose to explicitly side with Rhaenyra, that makes them able to be de- de- declared traitors to the Greens and to King Aegon meaning that the greens now have cause to unseat the tyrells, take highgarden and give it to whoever they want. So the only real way they can the tyrells think that they can survive this, survive the dance and come out still holding highgarden in the reach is to be neutral, which is what they do. It hurts the greens because they're being denied the most powerful house in Westeros, but it's not they're not opposing them in a way that gives them a a direct reason for calling them traitors and stripping them of the house. So that kind of makes sense. Some clever politicking from the Tyrells there, or from the regents of the Tyrells. Either way, no matter which side they join, Tyrells are screwed, so they choose neither. So that, that's kind of a, a weird detour, I guess, onto what's going on here. But the other part of this is that this is very much a that Otto Hightower is a power climber, that he wants power for its own sake, that he thinks that he's the smartest guy in the room, that he's the natural ruler of all things, that all the, the kings are idiots, the rest of the lords are morons. He's He's got it going all up here. And there's also quite a lot of greed in his actions. So he decides for reasons that it's his family that should be on the Iron Throne going forwards, and he doesn't really care who's in his path. It's very, very similar to what we see from Tywin Lannister, and later Unwin Peak at the end of the dance, or afterwards I guess. That these are hands of the kings who saw the role as a way to enrich themselves and their family, rather than kind of a service to the realm or a service to their kings, it's more stepping stone to what they want next. That's true, Go the Undertaker. Not fighting or fighting half-assed fashion until the victor is clear is a proud tradition for the Tyrells. Hey, if you like uh, Max says in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he's just playing both sides against each, each other so that he can always come out on top. Way to go, guys. And there's very little to be sympathetic to for Otto about all this. Basically, mo- the, the motivations, the plans, the strategies, who's in charge is Otto's doing. He, and there's not really a good reason for it. He just kind of wants to be in control, and he wants his family to sit on the Iron Throne, and he doesn't really care about the consequences of that. It's It's an extremely unsympathetic, I guess, mindset that he has. I'm guessing we're going to see more of him in House of the Dragon. We'll see a little bit more like explanation behind it like maybe he thinks that Viserys is a terrible king or some other maybe like I don't really know he married his children into the Targaryen so it'd be hard to say that he thinks that they're all morons but it it really just seems like Otto is just a naked grab for power almost he's trying to attention he's trying to essentially be a conqueror but with letters instead of soldiers, although he does eventually use soldiers too. It's not it's not like even people like in the in the golden company or even Damon Blackfire, where Otto still has quite a lot, and so do the high towers themselves. Hands use regularly enrich themselves quite a lot. It's not like he's fallen on hard times. It's not like he's lost something. It's it's just reaching for more. It's explicit greed. Although okay so I'm gonna go against what I just said, and there is a slight amount of maybe something you can hang your hat on for why Otto High Tower is doing what he's doing. And that is that ever since Aegon's conquest, the road to the Iron Throne has been through Old Town and the High Tower. And numerous times Targaryen monarchs have gotten on their dragons, flown to Old Town, and directly or indirectly threatened to burn the entire place to the ground if they didn't get their way. Magor explicitly did this. Jaehaerys and Alysane more or less did this. It it just it kind of keeps happening. The Targaryens have established this tradition that they want to be crowned by the High Septon, and when the High Septon doesn't want to do it, and there's a large suggestion that the High Towers have a lot of undue influence on the High Septon, Old Town is kind of what's held hostage for the Iron Throne. So you can imagine that that the high towers are constantly looking for a way to avoid being the potential powder keg to some Targaryen on a dragon's path to the Iron Throne. They kind of want to stop that. And it's also that weird prophecy where the High Septon was like, if we ever, if you ever fight against the dragons, you, your house will burn to the ground. So they've been trying to find unconventional ways of neutralizing the threat. Okay. So thanks Netflix. Um, going to go ahead and turn that off. Hang on a second. Do not stir. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. So there's something there. There is something there that by trying to improve relations between the high towers and old town and the Targaryens, there's less of a chance, hopefully that old town will be bathed in dragon fire. Like many Targaryens have threatened to do. Okay. So that's kind of some justification, but it's not really justification for how far Otto's going. He's not just trying to improve relations. He's not trying to make allies of the Targaryens. He's explicitly trying to fight them. He wants to have a Targaryen civil war. He's trying to get them to fight each other. And it's it's extremely self-serving and it's extremely unsympathetic, extraordinarily greedy and power hungry. So there is something there, but I don't think it justifies what Otto did. It, it's a pretty weak reason, that whole thing, in order to plunge the entire Seven Kingdoms into a multi-year brutal civil war that that those two things do not match up, especially because if you start that war, there's a good chance that somebody on a dragon is going to burn down the high tower just for funsies. Screw Otto. Uh, The other main motivator here that makes Otto look even worse is that a large reason he's doing what he's doing and that he's creating the dance of the dragons or at least creating the succession crisis is because he personally hates Daemon Targaryen. He thinks the road Prince is a shithead. And they have a long-standing rivalry going back decades by the time that the war starts. And it's it's a really personal problem he has with Damon. That's not that's not a good reason to do it, especially because Damon's not in line to be on the Iron Throne anyway. It would be Rhaenyra. He says that during the Green Council, it's not great. And also very unsympathetic from Otto Hightower is what he does to Allison. That he basically turns her onto a piece on his game board. He turns her into a weapon for his schemes and power grabbing it's 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 very much like you see from littlefinger and you see from tywin like explicitly littlefinger is trying to turn sansa into alice High in hightower tywin does do that with cersei and it's just people that are seeking power for its own stake trying to write weird rivalries they've had for quite a long time that for some reason they can't let go of and this feeling of never being satisfied with what they have Otto's already the second most powerful man in the realm, but he doesn't stop there. He wants to be the most, and he wants his grandchild in Aegon to continue to be the most powerful for reasons. The sort of people that get obsessed with legacy kind of tend to do this sometimes. They have to outshine everybody so their name will never be forgotten. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> that leads to a gigantic civil war. Way to go, Otto Hightower. Yeah, again, Aaron in the chat says it right. <laughs> I don't think you have to reach far to find Allison to give Allison sympathetic motivations, but yeah, fuck Otto forever. There, there's so little sympathy to be had for him. George wrote him explicitly as a villain, and that's probably going to come out in the TV show too. And I, there's actually, <laughs> funny enough, George writes it in so that people in universe know this is true, that Otto is really to blame for everything that's going on because there's a, there's a fine detail here. When Rhaenyra is crowned by Daemon, she declares a bunch of people traitors to the realm and that they should be executed for their role in trying to usurp her. Two people she names are Otto and Alicent, who she doesn't name any of their children or grandchildren. She doesn't hold this against Aegon II. She doesn't hold this against Eamon or Helena or any of their children. Rhaenyra explicitly at first blames Otto and Alicent for what has happened. And I think that's true. That's supposed to be the hint for the reader, and this will probably come out in House of the Dragon too, that yeah, this is all Otto's fault, that he's that he's the primary architect of the Dance of the Dragons. So I guess I could just put Otto Hightower on the thumbnail and just make it him, Otto's. And his what he says at the Green Council makes him look even worse. It doesn't get any better for him. So this is his response when they learn that Viserys is dead. He says sir otto hightower cut him off all of this must needs wait he declared until the question of succession is settled as the hand of as the king's hand he is empowered to speak with the king's voice even the sit on the iron throne in the king's absence Viserys had granted him the authority to rule over the seven kingdoms and until such time as our new king is crowned that rule would continue and then he goes on and this is the, this is the argument that he makes this is why I th- like the daemon thing is so weird and just so uh, Weird coming from him, Sir Otto reminded him that Rhaenyra's husband was none other than Prince Daemon, and quote, we all know that one's nature. Make no mistake: should Rhaenyra ever sit the Iron Throne, it will be Lord Fleabottom who will rule us, as a king consort, as cruel as unforgiving as Magor ever was. My own head will be the first cut off, I do not doubt, but your queen, my daughter, will soon follow. Okay. Otto just kind of comes out of nowhere with that. And he's making his claim for why they need to usurp Rhaenyra, this weird personal conflict that he has with damon That's his argument. Other people are making the legal argument, the succession argument or Lord, I think Lannister makes the claim that he's like, well, I didn't make any sort of swearing to her near That was my father. I was a baby at the time. How can I be bound by it? Otto comes in hot and he's just basically like, listen, Damon sucks. He's going to kill us all. And if you don't, we don't rebel, we're all dead. And it's like, where the fuck did that come from? It's so self-serving and so weird that I think, yeah, Otto number one on the list, Otto caused it. So next up we got Alison Hightower and I. I agree with what Aaron said earlier that there is a lot of sympathy and a lot of empathy you can find with Alison and her role in this, in that she's being so driven by Otto to become this person, to make this conflict happen, specifically to benefit his grandchildren, not to benefit her. But to benefit Otto's grandchildren and he set her up from this from a very young age he basically made her a weapon like i said much in the same way that tywin did to cersei that there there's a lot of maybe there's some nature here that alicent was naturally scheming and naturally on her own would be kind of a bad person but you can see clearly Otto's influence on her that even the making her the handmaiden jaharis and then keeping her from marrying for years until Viserys becomes available and then instantly swooping in and making that marriage, it's clear that he's he's pushing her around like a piece on a chessboard. Yeah, and I also talked about this during my video that this animosity that we're gonna see on the screen between Alicent and Rhaenyra is really comes from their fathers. That Viserys at a certain point had enough with Otto and he tried to move the high towers out of court and he tried to get rid of them. And it's because of this that a lot of the rivalry between Rainier and Alicent pops up. They're they're kind of fighting. they're fighting their father's disagreements between themselves. They're living through them. They're the pieces being pushed against each other, or, or at least um, being positioned against each other from their fathers. So Alicent really has no choice in the family rivalry because Otto decided there would be one very early on. And She's sort of forced to continue it as long as he still has power over her, which he does basically until the end of her life. Oh, two super chats here. Moralee, $20 for all the royal ladies and should-be queens in Fire and Blood and House of the Dragon. Agree. Thank you very much, Mora. And $10 from Kieran Grant. Thank you, Kieran. Otto won his family to rule so badly and couldn't play the long game. He set Allison on the old queen, then a successor. Maybe she was a schemer, but Otto had a lot of influence. That's, that's kind of where I'm landing here, is that... I don't think Allison is blameless, I don't think Allison acted rationally or in service of the realm in general, that there was quite a lot of her trying to protect herself and kind of a similar kind of power grabby nature from Otto. But it was really, it appears to have been beaten into her from a young age, from Otto, that this is what they're going to do. There's the line from the teaser, where Otto basically says, like, you have the ability to win the Game of Thrones. It's like, well, you don't have to play. You don't have to do this. You don't have to push the realm to the brink of war just so that your grandson can be, or your son can be, on the Iron Throne. They're still princes. They're still royalty. They're dragon riders. It's not like they're nothing. It's not like they've been tossed out to Essos never to come back. Things are really good for Alicent Hightower and for her children, and still they go through with it. So she plays, Alicent plays an extremely active role throughout the beginning of the dance. And for a little bit, she eventually gets sidelined quite a bit by, by Aegon and those in charge of the, the green faction. But in the run up, she does have a pretty, she has a big role, but nowhere near as big as Otto. Although one thing that's definitely her fault is Amond one eye. <laughs> Aemond is a total piece of shit and it appears that he has absorbed every ounce of hatred and venom Alicent had for Rhaenyra and her family and become just like an embodiment of all the negative feelings she has for them. Losing his one eye obviously didn't help. Obviously it prejudiced him against Rhaenyra and her sons, but we already know that Aemon was antagonistic towards them, and he probably didn't get that from nowhere. Alicent and Rhaenyra did have a pretty big rivalry, and they had a a lot of that rivalry was over their sons and who would end up inheriting the Iron Throne. So in a sense, if you think about it, what Otto did to Alicent, she also did to Aemond. Aemond is very much his mother's son, in a sense. Although not Aegon. Aegon is like, Aegon and Helena are like weirdly okay. Aemond seems to have been like the one that absorbed all the evil in them. And again, Alicent goes along with Otto's plans and schemes for her, Although she doesn't really have a lot of choice, as we've talked about, women in Westeros, even those powerful at court, are really at the mercy of the men in their life, and particularly a guy like Otto Hightower, but she seems to have willingly taken part of the Game of Thrones at court, and she really does make herself the primary enemy of Rhaenyra and Daemon kind of whenever possible. There are are a lot of instances where Alicent could have gone the other way and basically de-escalated instead of escalating and she consistently chose not to so not blameless but i don't think you should put the dance of the dragons on her in particular and i guess to to further on to that point a lot of what happens in the the run-up to the dance is kind of out of her hands like let's let's run this back through let's imagine the green council but allison isn't there does anything really change like no not really Otto's going to make the same claim Kristen Cole is going to go to Aegon and make the same claim. All the arguments from the other members of the small council are the same. Otto was pushing for this whether Allison was on board or not. So I don't think there's a lot she could have done to avert the war at that point. There are decisions she could have made earlier in her life. But at that point, Otto had really had thrown the dice, so to speak. The die is cast as far as Otto Hightower is concerned. I guess the only thing she could have done is like sneak out and send a raven to Dragonstone and tell Rhaenyra what's going on, but like Otto had already decided and so had Kristen and the whole thing's going forwards as it was. She's gonna get a lot of negative attention in the fandom probably in the show as being like Cersei on steroids basically, but I, I have a lot more sympathy for her and it's hard to really separate her actions from how Domineering, it seems that Otto was in her life. Egan's line could have married into Rhaenyra's line later down the line. The Civil War just eliminated the High Towers from the Targ line. Yeah, they could have done that later. I think that's actually what ends up happening. There are ways around it, and Alicent did not want to do those ways. She had decided that she wanted to play the Game of Thrones. She wanted the High Tower line on the Iron Throne and didn't really care how that went. But yeah, she's not really behind anything. And a lot of what happens after the war starts in earnest is really out of her hands the the shitty men on the side of the greens really take over, Aegon in particular, and just kind of shoves her to the side. It's it's kind of like a, it really just gets away from her. So Otto, meanwhile, though, continues to try and push everything the whole way through. So fuck Otto Tower. So if we're going through, so we've talked about Viserys, Otto, and Alicent so far. So in terms of ranking them, I put Alicent above Viserys, but definitely below Otto. Like, if we're talking about percentages Otto gets like 75 percent of the, the the blame for pushing the dance forwards it's so clearly his plan it's so brazenly a power grab by him that it's even though allison is going along with it and she's a collaborator it's really him so let's move on to another person that's often gets danced for the often gets blamed for the dance of the Dragon, dragons kristen cole yeah kristen cole's a pretty bad person <laughs> And he's not going to be portrayed in a good light in the show, but it is definitely overblown his role in the dance itself. I made a meme about this on Twitter a little while ago, where it was like the Eric Andre thing where he's shooting. What did I I have it as? I had Eric Andre as Otto Hightower shooting Hannibal and have it say Rainier's Inheritance and then him turning the camera and say, why would Kristen Cole do this? And that's kind of basically what ends up happening. Kristen gets a lot a lot of blame for things that were really out of his hands like Kristen's biggest role in the start of the dance is really that he just kind of went along with Otto's plan he was convinced by it and he wanted to hurt Rhaenyra and Damon, so that's kind of why he did it he killed Lord Beesbury and then he convinced Aegon to rebel but like even that is all he says is the same thing that Allison and Otto already said so it's not like he's adding a lot of value to the plot it could have been either of them going to Aegon and making the claim that he would his life was in danger if Damon and Rhaenyra took the throne and he's he's really just he's Lord Commander of the Kingsguard but that doesn't have there's no armies attached with that his influence is really just kind of centered at court itself and you could replace Kristen with basically like any member of the Kingsguard or even high tower soldiers and the plot goes forward the same as it does with Kristen involved. It, it doesn't really hinge on him. The only thing it really does is that it does give Aegon some legitimacy that Kristen is behind him, that he rejects Rhaenyra and that he recognizes as his true king Aegon II. Like, that's sort of all it really does. He's not really a key part of the strategy. He's not a key part of really any of it. He's a sort of there. And one of the ways that you're, you're supposed to get the idea that a Kristen's role is overblown is that the number one person in A Song of Ice and Fire that thinks it's Kristen's fault is Arish Oakheart, the idiot. He says, Kristen, the kingmaker had set brother against sister and divided the King's Guard against itself, bringing on the terrible war the singers called the Dance of the Dragons. Well, no, not really. Kristen didn't do any of that. Otto did that. That was Otto's doing. He he was really just sort of the guy that happened to be there. A useful idiot used by the high towers for their own purposes. He he's I got I I talked about this earlier in terms of Varys' riddle about like the 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 shadow on the wall and like the powerful men bidding the men with the sword to what they do. Well, Kristen is literally the guy in the middle, being bidden by the powerful lords to fight for them. He chooses Aegon and the High Tower's side, but he—it's kind of weird just how replaceable he is in this story. Like he certainly plays a role in escalating the rivalry between Rhaenyra and Allison in particular, but he's not. There's nobody's going to war because of Kristen Cole. He just happens to be a. <laughs> As I said, a useful tool for them to use. He doesn't commit yet. House Cole's not very powerful. There's nothing else coming from this. It's just like legitimacy. He happens to be the guy there to slit Lord Beesbury's throat. So I can see kind of like a larger philosophical question. This is why I said you should message like Clint from Learned Hands about the idea of Shadow on the Wall and Varys' riddle and how Kristen Cole fits into it. He's a perfect example of it. But if you're looking at it from just like what happened in the actions and who is planning things out and making, making the war happen, Kristen is just sort of a guy that jumped onto the cause that already existed from Otto. So he gets an outsized role, I guess especially in history and probably in the show too. There's going to be a lot of people that think that Kristen's a bad guy for betraying his queen and betraying his vows. But yeah, I don't, I don't, of the four characters so far, Kristen's way lower down. Replace Kristen with anybody and the same thing still happens. He is not integral to the plot or he's not integral to the start of the dance. I'm going to, I'm going to separate those two. Okay. Kristen is integral to the part, to the plot in terms of what he does and his failures and kind of what happened between him and Rhaenyra and his his role at court but he's he is not a primary reason for the dance you remove Otto Hightower and Kristen Cole is basically just a butt butthurt Kingsguard for the rest of his life Otto's the one that makes the war Kristen jumps onto the bandwagon That's my ruling. Kristen is not the kingmaker. He is just a dude who happened to be there. Nailed it. I sort of thought of an example while I was writing this. Do you blame the Secret Service for not stopping, like, a president from doing something? No, not really. So why would you blame Kristen Cole for the actions of Otto and Allison and Aegon? Like, you shouldn't. That's his role. He's an elaborate bodyguard. He is not an integral part of the political situation of Westeros. So let's move on here. Let's go on to Aegon II. The brother against the sister, the one that everyone remembers as the true king, or at least Stannis does, that was attacked by his vengeful, usurping older sister. And I'm going to throw it out here. I don't think Aegon is to blame for the war itself, basically at all. I'm going to, if I give like Kristen Cole like half a percentage point, I'm giving Aegon the Second like almost zero. Oh, our just flickered. We have a thunderstorm going on, so I'm hoping I don't lose power. They keep flickering. I might lose power, so I'm sorry guys if uh, the stream cuts off unexpectedly. Apparently a branch somewhere nearby is pushing against a power. Yeah, I I don't think Aegon is to blame for the dance itself. He's to blame for what he does later. He's to blame for the horrible things he does as king and what he does to Rhaenyra and all that other kind of stuff, the things he orders. But for the cause of the war, Aegon is basically blameless as far as I'm concerned. So, as I said, it's framed as a war between Aegon and Rhaenyra, but it's really a war between Rhaenyra and Otto Hightower. That's kind of what it actually is. Aegon just happens to be the guy who's being pushed forward into the conflict that he wants no part of. He, He happens to be the guy that fits the role that Otto needs. He doesn't really care about any of the qualities of Aegon II. And you can actually look at the Green Council itself and nobody's making an argument that Aegon would be a better ruler or that there's any particular aspect of him that makes him a better choice than Rhaenyra to rule, other than the fact that he's related to Otto, Hightower, and Allison That's kind of it. Hunmaster says, Did, didn't Aegon escalate? Yes, he's definitely to fault for escalating and what happens during the war, but the, the start of it itself and the things that made it happen are largely out of his control he he literally in the the sense of the green council he is just like the head the crown has to sit on for them to get their way they don't care about him there's no reason for him to be king they're not even trying to make the argument for it like seriously go back and read fire and blood nobody makes an argument for that aegon would even be a good king they don't care it has nothing to do with him and you can see this when Kristen Cole literally goes to Aegon, and this is the conversation that happens. Prince Aegon was quote-unquote at his revels. Munken says in his true telling vaguely, The testimony of Mushroom claims Sir Kristen found the young king to be a drunken naked in a flea-bottom rat pit, where two gutter snipes with file teeth were biting and tearing each other for his amusement, whilst a girl who could not have been more than twelve pleasured his member with her mouth. Awesome stuff, Aegon. Let us put that ugly picture down to mushroom being mushroom, however, and instead consider the words of Septon Eustace. Though the good Septon admits Prince Aegon was with him paramour when he was found, he insists the girl was the daughter of a wealthy trader, notably not making the argument she's older than 12, cool stuff there, and well cared for besides. Moreover, the prince at first refused to be a part of his mother's plans. Quote, my sister is the heir, not me, he says in Eustace's account. What sort of brother steals his sister's birthright? Only when Kristen convinced him that the princess must, sure, must surely execute him and his brothers should she don the crown did Aegon waver. Quote, "...whilst any true-born Targaryen yet lives, no strong can ever hope to sit the Iron Throne," Cole said, "...Rhaenyra has no choice but to take your heads if she wishes her bastards to rule after her." It was this, and only this, that persuaded Aegon to accept the crown that the small council was offering him, insists our gentle Septon. So in both cases, Aegon is not even part of the council. He doesn't even really want to be king. He doesn't think he should be. He thinks that Rhaenyra is the heir. So it's hard to make the case that, that Aegon is in any way the cause of the war other than he literally exists. That's that's basically his crime here. He exists as a child as Al- of Alicent and Viserys. And I don't find that very persuasive for why Aegon II would be at fault for the war in his name because it's literally a war in his name. That's why it starts. It has very little to do with him. he has no control over his grandfather or his mother although as that quote makes out, I don't he's not a particularly kind person either. He's apparently screwing around with a 12 year old. <laughs> I also like that Eustace, like I said, Eustace doesn't even dispute the age of the girl. It's just like well she wasn't she wasn't poor. she was a, she was a wealthy trader's daughter that he took care of. But yeah, she still was 12. Way to go, Aegon, on that one. But the the war was not his doing. And it's a lot like Damon Blackfire, and where he's kind of the patsy being used by the schemers and people pushing for power to enact change for them. He's the vessel they want to use to get what they... Literally the head that will just wear the crown. They literally need somebody to sell on the Iron Throne, somebody who has the claim to the Iron Throne, and it happens to be Aegon. That's kind of it. Oh, did we hit 100 likes? All right, hat time. I think we're going to go a little, we're going to go a little gurmy today. Although it looks kind of ridiculous with my hair this long. I definitely look like I belong on a minor league baseball team at the moment. Oh, I said I was going to give away a hat. Yes, Guilty Undertaker, that is what Eustace is saying. He's saying that pedophilia is okay as long as the kid is rich and taken care of. Great stuff out of Septon Eustace. Uh, let me open up Nightbot, and we will go ahead and give away a shirt. All right, we're we're gonna do another giveaway here. So we'll do a keyword. Tuck my hair into the hat. No, no, that doesn't work. There's too much of it. It's just, it's all over the place. All right, so qu- what keyword should we use? Won't we'll be funny to see, uh, posted in the chat like 50 times. Let's see here. Type the word mushroom. All right. So if you want to win yourself a shirt from my Threadless shop at a Threadless.com. Wait, wait, what is it again? I, I always forget. Hang on. It's jomagician.threadless.com. I'm going to put the link in the chat. If you want to win a free t-shirt there, and I actually have a sale going on, you'll be able to get more than just a t-shirt, it looks like. Type the word mushroom into the chat. Type mushroom, and you'll be entered to win. It's a 340 right now, so 345. We'll roll this and uh, we'll try and give it away. If you've entered before, try not to enter again. See if we can, that's happened a few times recently. Some, you guys are devoted to hanging out with me and I appreciate it, but uh, let's see if we can get some, some other people out there with some ass waffle shirts and stuff out there type mushroom into the chat. Of course, my memory is bad. So I may not even remember if you won before. I don't actually keep track of that. It's just like, I guess I should, I have a spreadsheet with everything. I should keep track of it anyway. So. I make a pretty good case there for Aegon. I don't think Aegon II has really any part in the cause of the Dance of the Dragons. It, it's a war that happens to him, not because of him. It's not even like Daemon. With Daemon, like, you saw from, from different characters that they were making a claim that Daemon would be a better king, that he looked the part, that he was a better warrior that uh, he had the sword. Aegon, they're just literally like, Aegon exists, therefore he should be king. we don't like Rhaenyra. It's basically just like, he's not Rhaenyra. That's their whole reason to support him. Oh, there's fanny packs? Did I put fanny packs in? I hope so. Um, There's stickers, mugs, bags, uh, tote bags, magnets, notebooks, buttons, phone cases. I don't think anybody's bought a phone case yet. Shower curtains... <laughs> yeah somebody please least get ass waffle shower curtains that'd be incredible oh there's not oh that's a shame all right well yeah four more minutes if you guys want to win something from my threadless shop you get twenty dollars towards to buy whatever you want type mushroom into the chat got four minutes to go all right so who's next up all right so this is one that comes up quite a bit and that is the rogue prince himself Damon targaryen Damon basically deserves a whole stream on his own. George has put a lot of effort into describing Damon and making him an interesting character. Oh yeah, leggings, that's right, Kraken Queen, there are leggings. You can get yourself some ass waffle leggings, which always make me laugh when I see them. If we get to 100 Let's see here, 25 likes. If we get to 125 likes, I will switch to the other hat, promise. So, definitely if you look at the teaser trailers daemon is being heavily heavily featured and he's heavily featured in fire and blood as well that daemon is a primary character in the dance of the dragons and the lead up to it and eventually at the end and as such there's generally a lot of blame ascribed to him as a character for the for the dance happening actually morally she posted this on patreon she said hi joe i believe that daemon targaryen had a huge massive hand at being an instigator, especially since Otto Hightower clearly hated him and did not want him anywhere near the Iron Throne, much less able to give any of his bastards a dragon egg as we saw in the trailer. I'm going to go over some of those points. And I, uh, it's hard to pin exactly how much of it is Damon's fault, because a lot of it seems to be kind of an Otto and Allison's head that they think he's dangerous to them personally. Therefore, they have to do something about it. it. Asks if the asswoggle leggings is the peach in the correct spot. What's the correct spot? What do you mean? So, this is a tough one. So, there is a fair amount of blame you can put on him, but it's not like it's not directly. It's not like Damon is going around actively threatening the high towers. He's not building an alliance to eventually slaughter the high towers and remove them from power as far as we know maybe that will be in the show maybe we'll be there i'll make a lot more sense but from what we see from fire and blood he's more of just kind of like he's this kind of agent agent of chaos and he just has a general large thirst for power and the iron throne in particular and it's those aspects that made his counterpart at court, Otto Hightower, very nervous about him in particular. Otto multiple times tried to effectively neutralize Damon by giving him crappy jobs. He made him Master of Laws at one point. He also made him Lord Commander of the Gold Cloaks. Both times Damon effectively took those opportunities and made them far more dangerous than Otto ever imagined. Like he literally made the Gold Cloaks into his personal army from what should have been a nothing job. So there's a lot of ambition and talent in Damon that the high towers thought was dangerous to them in particular. That anytime he gets a little bit of power, he somehow takes it and escalates it drastically. That whatever you think a king consort could do, once Damon has it, he's going to do a lot more with it. And of course this is informed by the fact that Damon and Rainier had married by this time, and I believe they had children. So that was a big thunderbolt. Holy shit. Yeah, I may lose power. Yeah, on the on the leggings because of the way. So this is a little detour on the leggings themselves, because of the way that they wrap and the different sizes, it's basically impossible as far as I could figure out to make it so that on either side of the seam, there's two halves of a, a peach and a waffle. If you if you make it work for like the medium it no longer works for the large or it no longer works for the small Because they get cut off at certain points because of the sizing so it was it was one of my great disappointments Oh, oh, we got it. So last call. Let's see here 20 people entered got 112 watching any of you guys want it last year I'm gonna roll it in like 30 seconds to see who wins I learned a lot about sizing and how they cut stuff and trying to figure out how to make the leggings so that's base, that's more or less the reason that Otto feels fierce Damon so much. Whatever he gets, he escalates and in ways that are kind of unpredictable. So he's not wrong for thinking that Damon with as king consort and his wife as the ruling monarch could go even further than he imagines. But that's, that's tough to say that's like his fault. For why auto did it all right let's go ahead and roll this baby dazzle spark congratulations if you make sure to you can message me on twitter uh, you can send me a direct message you can send it through patreon at patreon.com slash joemagician or you could email me at ask magician at gmail.com i'll send you a code and you can pick up something from my threadless shop congratulations way to go dazzle and there's definitely a fear that damon would make an insane power grab for instance just for fun he decided to, to make himself king of the stepstones in the narrow sea he spent several years effectively killing pirates for fun like he he engaged in warfare because he enjoyed it that's what it seems to have happened and also out of vengeance uh he was trying to get out a lot of anger at losing his uh child with Mysaria. so he's a violent person anyway he seemingly enjoys battle He's somebody that already tried to crown himself anytime he gets a little bit of power he escalates it drastically so there is some merit to what Otto and Allison is are saying in that Damon's so unpredictable that you you can't really know what he's going to do but a lot of their rivalry between Otto and Damon is really just that Otto found himself unable to control Damon um and that's, that's kind of what the rivalry is really about. That, that's really kind of it. And also that Damon had gone to, to large lengths to make sure that he was aligned with the Valarians, and uh, Rainies in that section so that he was the, he wasn't really in control of it, but he, if a conflict ever arose, he would be able to call on them in a way that other people wouldn't. Damon had made himself and core, at least like best bros, so that It's kind of like, just like a court rivalry thing. It's kind of like a general dislike of two opposing personalities. Otto and Damon are kind of just totally flipped versions of each other. They are the, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're like dark reflections of each other. Everything Damon's good at, Otto is bad at. Everything Otto's good at, Damon's bad at. And it sort of just makes them naturally as characters opposed to each other. And that's kind of what's going on here. So Damon as a person does create a lot of pressure especially at court and those around him, that his, his kind of naked desire for power puts him at odds. with somebody like Otto Hightower, that he's creating alliances, he's creating power bases for himself, that it makes other people react to him. Yeah. Polar opposites. They're, they're polar opposites of each other too. Yeah. Is House Broth Baratheon considered a house of Lyrian descent? Yes, they are. The Baratheons are a bastard house of the, of the Targaryens and they intermarried a bunch of times especially recently. So actually, this is kind of a fun fact. Rhaegar's closest living relative outside the Targaryen family is actually Robert Baratheon. They're like second cousins or something like that. But yeah, so Daemon's, that he does exist and the actions he takes and how he basically wants to make himself ungovernable, I guess, does make him threatening through the High Towers. It's not unreasonable to think that at some point, Daemon may convince Rhaenyra that he, she'd be better off with no rivals that she that she should kill them all but that maybe one day he would become another Magor the cruel that kind of person but that's like that's potential that's not real that's not something he's done it's not like he's literally showed up at old town on caraxes and said i'm gonna burn down old town just you wait like None of this stuff has actually happened. And Otto and Allison explicitly blame Damon as their primary cause of action. They fear that he's going to kill them all. He will be a blight on their family in the realm, and he will murder them all to secure the Iron Throne in the realm for his offspring. And it's like... I don't know. He has not made those threats. He has not taken actions to make that a thing. Unless, like, behind the scenes, they are constantly da- dodging daggers from Damon. He certainly could. It's sort of like Rhaenyra, where she gets blamed a lot for, like, that she's going to overturn the realm and make empower women. It's like, And at no point did she actually, like, do those things. And she never even said she wanted to. It, it's hard to say. He didn't like particularly push the high towers into doing what they did into usurp the throne and start a civil war and do all that stuff. But his presence and his existence is a primary motivating factor for them. It's not unreasonable, but it's also just kind of like, maybe one day he will try and kill us. We're going to see a lot more about this from House of the Dragon, I assume. We're going to see a lot more behind the scenes about him, and we'll see exactly how real these fears are because if you just read fire and blood i, I don't really get the sense that the high towers are being justified in exactly how much they fear him and what he'll do as king consort yeah it, it, i think that's a right flanker it's a large overreaction he's an easy he's an easy like threat to convince the rest of the faction and aegon to be afraid of because there's good reason to be afraid of him he is that kind of person as we should as we know from blood and cheese and the other stuff he gets up to in the dance of the dragons that he really does not have any problem killing his enemies and if he could that maybe he would but there's also the other side to this like he had a rivalry with viserys for quite a long time and viserys basically was not a dragon rider after a certain point Damon didn't show up into the Red Keep and burn it down. He didn't challenge King Viserys to a duel. He didn't try to overthrow the realm. He just kind of was angry about it and then did horrible things elsewhere and kind of schemed his way to marry Rhaenyra and groom his niece. But, like, there's no example of Damon heron hauling a family like the higher towers are claiming. It's a little bit of an overreaction, but definitely true. That Damon's existence and personality did push the dance to being more likely. If for no other reason than he is a convenient, violent agent of chaos to sit to stoke fears on. Kind of where I land on Damon. But of course, that's all pending House of the Dragon. It's very likely I'm gonna say this, and then we're gonna see a scene where Damon <laughs> effectively goes to Rhaenyra and goes like, as soon as you're crowned, we have to kill everybody. That could very well happen. We just don't see that in the books. Which is not to say Damon's a good person. He's not a good person. He's a pretty terrible person. But I don't think the fear of him is justified for starting a gigantic civil war and to remove Rhaenyra from power. Like, if you're really that afraid of Damon, kill Damon, right? Just hire some assassins, take care of him, kill him. You don't need to overthrow Rhaenyra to have Damon not be a threat anymore. And that, that's the real disconnect here. Just kill him. Just kill Damon. That's a good point, Guilty Undertaker. There's a Tyrion parallel with Damon. I wish I was the monster you would have me be. Damon is is a monster, but he's the high towers really over oversell the exact danger he he uh he represents. Like I don't think he would keep the Valarians as allies if he suddenly went on a killing spree. Uh let's see here. So we started about 10 minutes late, so so we're gonna try and just uh roll through these last two. Next one up is well, actually, so let's do a ranking right now. So Otto Hightower at the top so far is the most to blame. Then I would put Alicent. Then I would put Damon, Then I would put Kristen Cold. And then I would put Aegon the Second. That's that's kind of how I'm ranking them so far in, in terms of who caused the dance. Mostly Otto at this point. So let's move on to Rhaenyra. And this is actually going to be a pretty short one because I don't really think the dance is Rhaenyra's fault at all. A lot like Aegon that she just happens to be a person in the way of Otto High High Towers ambitions. And I don't there's not a lot that she really did to cause it that's like <clears throat> that seems to be convincing in universe or convincing to me as a person. Like the only thing Rhaenyra really did to, to make the civil war against her happen is that she didn't put in the work to to continue Viserys's plan of making sure all the lords continue to be on board for her becoming the heir that it's said in fire and blood that at a certain point people were pretty sure Viserys was going to die soon he was getting old he was in bad health Rhaenyra did not proactively go out and make sure that all of the people that swore to her when she was younger still felt that way like she should have been taking like royal progresses She should have been actively courting and making friendships across the realm, kind of like Alysanne did, making sure her alliances were still in place, particularly in Highgarden. Her one big mistake is that she did not get the the Tyrells on her side, knowing that they were the High Tower's overlords. She kind of just stayed at court and then stayed at Dragonstone a lot, and she really should have been making sure that across the realm, everyone was, yeah, still on board. They were still gonna recognize her claim that she didn't have anything to worry about she kind of just coasted on the Viserys making everyone swear and on his reputation as king and yeah that's kind of all I really have on it the bastard child thing is kind of overblown it definitely pissed off some of the lords but if she had put in the effort to uh, make sure that they were better friends and they were closer and that she had more alliances then there would there could have been a way to overcome that if she had promised out better marriages like, she really, with her own children, really just sort of cemented the alliance between herself, Daemon, and Corlys, and kind of neglected everyone else, and Rhaenys. In particular, the Baratheons basically turned against her, and the Baratheons have been, especially as the Stormlords, were key into the Targaryen power base, and Rhaenyra kind of, well, Viserys and Rhaenyra kind of lit that alliance on the wayside, and it really hurt them early on in the war, that the Baratheons basically rejected them. I don't know. I guess she could have been like afraid that if she went around parading her strong sons, that the uh, everyone else would have like laughed at them or made her seem like pathetic or something like that. But I don't know. It's it's really on her on her to be as the next ruling monarch to making sure that. She's not just coasting on what Viserys did for her. She needs to make it real that she's going to be the next monarch. And that's that's her one big failing. Otherwise, there's no reason. the Otto and Alicent make the claim that Daemon is who they're afraid of, not really her. She's not the usurper like Stannis says she was. There's not even really an indication that she would have been a bad ruler, maybe inattentive. Bastard children thing could have been overlooked. That's kind of it. I don't think it's uh, Rhaenyra's fault that the Dance of the Dragons happened, as much as she and Alicent really didn't like each other, and obviously Otto Hightower and the rest of the Greens, I guess she she could have done more along with Alicent to not make that like into a full-born feud between the two families that their children clearly inherited, much like they did from their fathers, but that that's kind of it. Better alliance, uh, building from Rhaenyra, royal progresses, making sure that everyone's still on her side especially knowing that <clears throat> Viserys' health was declining. That's kind of That's all you can put on her. Her role in the start of the dance is even less than Daemon's. It's like above Kristen Cole's and Aegon II's, but like not by much. She's like tied with both of them. And it's kind of funny that George wrote it that way. That when you look, even though the headline, Rhaenyra versus Aegon, it's like, I don't know, both of them didn't really have a choice in it. Like she doesn't have a choice that her father named her heir to the Iron Throne, like are people expecting her to give it up when everybody in the realm swore her to be the next ruler? Should she have joined the Silent Sisters? I don't think that's a reasonable option. It's not Ruineras' fault. <clears throat> that's that's kind of where I land on that one. Do better at alliance building, be more like Alison, and probably a minimum better for her. So the last one here, oh hang on a second, oh that didn't feel good. So the last one, and obviously the big daddy, and this is actually who Dane McKay on Twitter was talking about, was the old king, the first. I think that at the beginning I said that Otto Hightower is the cause of the war of the living characters but this is mostly Jaehaerys the conciliator's fault. When you look at his life and how he consistently mistreated his daughters and his wife and his granddaughters in terms of denying them the ability to inherit that he created this animosity between them. He created the situations that led to Viserys needing to take Otto Hightower's help in order to take the Iron Throne. He created the resentment between Rhaenys and the rest of the Larian family against their own siblings. His, and this is one of the things I I got at early on, is that is disinheriting of female inheritance is really, not really a Okay, so I'm going to do a video about this later, but to make a long point short... Jaehaerys was actually being quite radical in his trying to disinherit women entirely from the Iron Throne. And if you wanted to look at it like purely from a Westerosi perspective, like from Westerosi inheritance, there's no doubt that Rainey should have been his heir. And he just couldn't live with that. He had so many problems with women in his life, particularly his older sister, Reyna. There's a line that I really love that I used in my Murder on Dragonstone video, where Reyna says to him, are you so uncertain of that Iron Seat that you must needs have your own blood bend the knee to you brother Raina threw back at him and the answer is yes Jay had massive problems with women he had a lot of problems dealing with the fact that people considered him and alice co-rulers he grew to resent that as he got older and he kind of took it out on his daughters and his granddaughters so <laughs> there's a lot of internalized misogyny that created this exact problem he felt and this is one of the things that people should think better of Viserys for that Jaehaerys could not do. Viserys came to the Iron Throne because of Jaehaerys's crappy ideas about women versus men, in particular, the Iron Throne's inheritance structure, which, by the way, was brand new and they were still working it out. But Viserys, and I do think part of that is that this, uh, Jaehaerys feared that people would eventually flock to Rhaena and overthrow him. It was sort of like a self-preservation. Viserys felt the other way. He said that Ranira should be his heir. She's the rightful heir, even if it delegitimizes himself. And that's kind of a crazy thing to say, that Viserys doesn't get enough credit for kind of the the moral strength to say something like that, to, to value what you think is right and to value your daughter over your source of power, I guess. So, in a sense, I think a lot of the... Jaheris basically viewed it as if he let Rhaenys and eventually Lenor inherit, that Viserys or Damon would one day rise up against them. Which is, that's how he probably sold it to himself. That he thought a war would come if he let the female line inherit, therefore he couldn't let it happen. There's no indication that would have happened. It seems to be kind of like Otto. Where it's like a fear of, of a thing that may never never come to ca- pass, and in a sense, Jaherys by trying to avoid a civil war, he eventually ensured it would happen by creating these weird alliances that had to be made and creating these long-standing <clears throat> rivalries that ended up blowing up several generations later. Now, this is going to be a longer-form video, especially about Jaharis in particular and how he he screwed this all up. But yeah, I, his decision to try and make the Iron Throne male-only is a huge problem and it's something that never would have happened if Alisane was still alive. It's it's so telling that he basically went through this after she died because he tried to early on in life and basically got divorced for it. This is meant to be um a, a thing that he has in common with Magor. This is going to be a little uncommon because people usually think of Magor and Jaharis as complete opposites but there's a real sense during Magor's reign that his mother Vicenya was really holding the realm together for him and that it's after Visenya's death that, thing re- that things really go off the rails for Magor, and that he becomes like a real monster, and people start turning on him, and he can't keep control of anything. And for jaharis it's kind of the same thing, where after he loses Alisane, and after he loses Barth, he basically screws up his legacy. He screws up the inheritance, and he makes it so that even though he thinks he's trying to forestall a war, he basically makes it inevitable. That's an interesting way that George is paralleling those two characters. Geharious is mostly at fault. That If he'd even just fallen male preference, I think things probably would have been fine because he just kind of kept changing it on people. And when somebody grows up with the idea that the inheritance is going a certain way and then the king basically gives you the middle finger and says, no, never mind. It's going this other way. Well, then you have created somebody that's angry. To be fair to Jaehaerys, the Lords of Westeros had several chances to crown a woman they have always refused. Unfortunately, Jaehaerys is king. He could have done it anyway. That's that's the whole point of wearing the, the pointy throne, the pointy crown and sitting on the iron throne. It was up to him to make it what he wanted to and he decided not to. He could have feared that if there was a ruling queen that all of Westeros would have risen up against him, but, like, all of Westeros lost the three dragons. I don't think that's really a reasonable fear, especially of how many more dragons they had now and uh, how they had managed to build support from houses that they had created, it's the Tyrells. The loyalty they got from those houses were indispensable. Who's to blame? Let's, let's go ahead and... <laughs> Let's do a visual metaphor. All right, so who's at the top? I think Jaharius and the influence of Otto Hightower. Let's not forget that in Jaehaerys' waning years as he got older, as they said, he was kind of getting dementia and he didn't really know what's going on. Otto Hightower and Allison really went to work on him, especially in the last years of his life. But I think it's his fault, number one, that the dance happened. After that, you get Otto Hightower, then you get High Hightower, then you get Damon. and then there's like a three-way tie beneath that between like Kristen Cole, Aegon II, and Rhaenyra, where there were mistakes made between those characters, but there's differing levels of like, it didn't really matter. In particular with Rhaenyra, I don't think it really mattered to Otto Hightower who Rhaenyra was. The only thing that mattered to him is that she was not related to him. It could have been an older son, and Otto Hightower would have found a way would have found arguments for why that kid should not be king over his grandson that's an important thing to realize that a lot of it seems to be like focused on like oh Damon and rhaenyra but it's really you have to focus on the power grab nature of it the reasons don't matter they just need some reasons that sounded plausible if it's not the bastards by rhaenyra if it's not Damon being chaotic and kind of dangerous would have found another reason that's the nature of otto hightower as a person and that's what he instilled in allison that they just want to be on the throne and that they want to help themselves in the high tower. there are a few other minor characters that definitely have a role let's see here guilty undertaker is talking about laris strong i definitely think laris has a role to play i'm excited to hear about it to see what they're going to put into the show i wonder if how much he'll be in season one or if he's more going to be like a season two and onwards character but there's definitely infighting between the Strongs that helps put the Dance of the Dragons into being a thing, particularly the fact that Larys is on the Green Council and that as the spy master he helps them out. He's more like a willing collaborator rather than somebody that really made the war happen. I don't know if you guys agree, disagree, put them in the comments, make your case. Do you think I'm wrong? Do you think I overlooked something? Do you think I'm dismissing something important? Give me your own rankings after the video, or if you're listening to this on on repeat instead of being here live. Oh, we got to 125. We're gonna put on the wizard hat for the last couple of minutes. Hang on a second. There we go. Loppy hat, Matt. That's what we're so. I'm going to probably do a version of this into a a shorter video before House of the Dragon comes out. Definitely something about inheritance and who's right between the Greens and the Blacks, about which, if Aegon and Rhaenyra is the true heir, how much Jaehaerys is at fault, that kind of stuff. Those are videos I want to make before the show comes out. So where's Aemond? I, I put Aemond in the collaborator part. He definitely serves a role, especially in the, his killing of Lucerys, but he didn't really set the, anything in motion. He's one of the people that helped escalate it, but we're, I'm talking about the the cause of the war, like what really got it in motion, what really made it a thing, who pushed it to the forefront. And for that, I think Jaharis and Otto. Although I think you could make the case that Otto is much more at fault because you can imagine a scenario, a thought process where Jaharis thinks that he's saving the realm. Otto is literally not trying to save anybody he is trying to essentially start a civil war himself oh yeah you can also from my threadless shop you can find stuff with this hat on it I had uh Sanrixian <laughs> my icon on here it's me going like wait hang on a second there it is <laughs> There's the icon itself. I do have a Gandalf pipe somewhere, but I stopped smoking weed a while ago. Anyway, yeah, let me know in the comments. Thank you all for hanging out on this Memorial Day weekend. I'm gonna try and get this out as an audio version a lot faster than I normally do, because I know people are gonna be driving uh, across the country, across America for Memorial Day, driving to and from parties and seeing family and stuff like that. So, hopefully, this will be available for you guys on Monday. It kind of depends on when YouTube lets me have access to the file. It's kind of weird. You like can't download it right away. It has to go through processing. Uh, yeah. So, if you like the the stream, you like the content, make sure you slam the like button. Subscribe for more as we get closer to House of the Dragon. Gonna be putting out a lot more stuff. Gonna be covering the show as it comes out. Um, gonna be doing some more in-depth looks before the show comes out, analysis and backstory, so that when you watch it, you will have a better understanding of what you're looking at. So thanks, everybody. You have a good weekend. Oh, so also, if you want to support me, you can go to patreon.com slash joemagician. $5 level and up gets you access to the patron slack and all the the bonus stuff, like the Dying of the Light read-through, special patron episodes, all that other good stuff.